man, you're rolling the dice anytime you let me be in charge of the audio cues, but I think we're doing so far okay for this episode. I'm Jim Reed. Welcome to another week of the Rec Poker Podcast Forums Edition. I'm so happy to be here. You can find me at Blusterini in the home games or at Hold'em underscore Steelers on Twitter. And I'm joined by our regular panel of Rec Poker fantastic folks. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, fantastic folks, and where the other fantastic folks can reach you. Uh, I am Chris Jones. I'm 5x5 on Poker Stars and Twitter. I'm John Somsky, and I'm Poker Geek MN everywhere. I'm Rob Washam, and I'm Rabman50 everywhere. I am Taylor Moss uh, in the Rec Poker home game. I am Gopher Boy TJM. And on Twitter, you can find me at, at Taylor underscore Moss. I'd like to thank Website Amp and the Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino for their generous support that makes this podcast possible. And we are here. We are playing in the Rec Poker home game, trying to t- steal each other's chips and win another bronze pin. Uh, just like every week, we have taken a forum post from the Rec.Poker forums, and we're going to talk about it here with the group. So this week, we are looking at a post by Chapo, uh, one of our international members, and the post is called Live Tourney, that's right, live, down under, because apparently in Australia, they know how to handle a pandemic. Um, So they are playing live poker down there. It's very exciting for them. And uh, Chapo wants to write in, he says, hi, everyone. I'm not sure if I butchered this, so bear with me. Um, again, we, we go through these forum posts here in audio and video, but if you want to get the real meat of the, uh, discussion, you should go to rec.poker, check out the forum post yourself. There's actually a link in your show notes right here. So there's some great details in there that we won't get to, but ultimately what it comes down to is Chapo is holding 10, 10 preflop in a tournament where he respects the field and, uh, we get a point where it's raised in front and they're in a spot where they have a real decision to make here between pl- taking a passive and an aggressive line. I want to hear from Rob first because uh, Ch- Chapo, our friend Troy from Australia, uh, mentioned Rob specifically. I think because Rob's been working um, through our book study where we talk about ways to play hands like this um, in a way that sort of maximizes your edge. Rob, was there any first, first uh, takes off this? Yeah, Troy has been pretty active in our book studies, and we recently completed a book study called The Game Plan. And in The Game Plan, it's 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 geared towards um, recreational players that are rather new, not very experienced, and find themselves in a tournament with a lot of what we might call crushers. So they'd be people that that definitely have an edge in a skill level over you. So when you're in that type of environment, um, the game plan gives you specific actions to take with each hand based on the action around you. So um, one of the things it tries to do is it tries to be very aggressive to take away that skill advantage from the more accomplished players by giving them tougher decisions to make. You are making their decisions tougher instead of them letting them make your decisions tougher. So um, one of the things I said in this particular spot, I think 10-10s is definitely uh, a three-bet jam. Um, To three-bet would be, you know, most of his chips. Um, Well, three-bet would be all of his chips because I think there was 10,000 was the 
open. Is that correct? Uh, yes, yeah, so the current blind level is 500, 1,000. And uh, the under the gun opened to 2,500. And then there's right. a couple flats. So the pot's pretty big already by the time it gets to them. Right. So it's 2,500. Uh, this is a perfect squeeze spot, like we talked in our in the last um, episode, the last podcast we did. Um, it was a definitely a definitely a squeeze spot. Um, but by squeezing, he'd be looking at you know. Let's just do the math real quick. Three times would be seventy five hundred. Then you add twenty five hundred for each caller, right? So now you're up to over ten thousand chips. So at that point in time, you're looking at this is just a jam. Um, and that's basically what I told him there, because by jamming, you know, first of all, the, the, the original razor could have a real hand, but he doesn't have to have that strong a hand. We know by the two people that called that their, their hands are probably less um, than 10-10. And they're just along for the ride to see if they can hit a flop. So by raising, if the first person folds, you're probably going to get folds out of the other two. And you're putting a tougher decision on the people that you think have a skill edge on you. Yeah. And last week we talked about a hand with Jack, Jack preflop facing a squeeze. And so that's one of the reasons we want to talk about this hand this week, because it's just illustrative of the difference that stack sizes make, you know, where you are in the tournament, the ranges that you can put other people on based on the assumptions you're making about them and the actions taken so far. And, you know, tens, we said last week, as Rob pointed out, there's three ways to play Jack's pre-flop and they're all wrong. Uh, you know, tens aren't that far off either. You, you, there's going to be a lot of second guessing um, with pocket tens. But just like we finished last week by saying, you know, po- I know Taylor will like this. Uh, poker is a game of incomplete information. And so you can't just proceed as though you get to be right um, you don't get to be right. You get to make educated guesses that are going to be wrong sometimes. And the better poker players are right more often than they're wrong. And it's just a matter of degree when it comes to that sort of a thing. So, um, yeah, and the game plan, I think specifically, as Rob points out, is trying to encourage play- recreational players to be more aggressive with these spots where, you know, it's kind of a coin flip. I think recreational players tend to play a little more passively in these spots and to try and try and see how it turns out before they get their chips in the middle. Chris, did you want to jump in there? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I tend to agree with that, that this is, um, this is a spot where we want to take an aggressive action. And I think the interesting question is, I think I, I agree that this is probably a jam, but where it's it, it's just on that edge of kind of an awkward stack size where we could choose to make a smaller three bet here um, and potentially protect ourselves a little and save a little bit of, of sort of tournament life uh, in just a spot, especially since we have an under the gun open. I mean, if we three, we've got 32 K there's 10k in the in the pot right now. If we three bet this to 12k, 14k, we preserve, you know, that 20, 18 to 20 big blind stack. If we need to fold these, we we potentially could to an under the gun shove. Um, I'm assuming that um, all the players have us covered in this spot. So that would be the one the one thing that I think we could make a decision. But I think regardless of what we do on sizing, I think we, we, we should be taking an aggressive action here. Um, 
And it's a lot different than if we're just, if, if this is the under the gun open and it folds to us with tens, I think we can consider a flat uh, given these sort of stack depths um, and those tens and just kind of like playing that heads up, let's go figure that out. But now that we've got these two intervening callers, there's so much dead money in here. Um, we've got a decent hand. They have shown probably they don't have as good a hand as us. Uh, so I, I like that aggressive action. And I, I'm really kind of torn about the sizing here. Um, whether that shove is almost too big um, is the only... I, I, I In game, I would probably be uh, not shoving, but it could be a mistake. No, and I should actually clarify. Um, so it does go... It goes raise, call, call. Um, we end up calling as played. And then the big blind makes a big raise. Then that that reopens the action, and I think it's at that point that we were saying to shove. Um, oh sure, no, yeah, no, yeah. no, I was I, saying I was saying to shove pre flop. Okay, great, yeah, perfect. The Thanks, because it's a third of the, the, the three bet is going to be at least a third of your stack. I see. Yep. And so, according to the game plan, and that's what we're referencing here, that's a shove automatic. If you're going to play, you're going to shove. You're either going to fold or shove. Yeah, great. And Thank you. I, I agree with a lot of what Chris is saying. Like he's making a lot of good points here. Uh, to talk about the sizing part of it, uh, the reason why I don't want to three bet to a not all in size here is because of what our stack to pot ratio looks like after we reach a flop. Uh, so hypothetically, say we raise to 10K, 14K, 15K, whatever it may be. Let's assume we pick the smallest size of, call it 10K. Uh, and we get a call. Well, now we started with 32 big blinds. We've put in 10 big blinds. We've got 22 behind. Uh, the pot out there is greater than 22. So our stack to pot ratio on the smallest size that we pick is below one, which means now we've got one action to take on the flop. And uh, with a hand like pocket tens, you're rarely going to be like, yep, this is a flop where I am extremely comfortable just going all in and knowing that I'm going to get called by worse. Uh, so, uh, you're also in a spot with a stack to pot ratio, less than one of a spot where you're not really intending on folding. Mm -hmm. uh, if the flop comes out queen high, are you really going to fold? If it comes out jack high or king high, are you going to fold? Maybe if it's ace high, you can find a fold, but then, you know, who knows you're making the right decision there too. So I, I hate that spot of having a stack to pot ratio less than one, I had just three bet and I've got a vulnerable hand like pocket tens. Um, I much, much prefer jamming. If I take it down there and I could have potentially got more, I don't care. I'm fine about that. There is two and a half, two and a half, two and a half big blinds from the open, the call and the call. So seven and a half plus another two and a half from the, the blinds. There's 10 big blinds out there for us to win. We can win 33% of our stack if we jam and get folds from everyone. Uh, that is a massive win. That is huge. I don't need to get greedy and try and win a few more extra big blinds off slight EV other decisions. So to me, it's jam. And there's no other sizing for three bets. And the way Rob pointed out earlier, you know, one of the things we're trying to do is make our opponents have more difficult decisions. So if you're in the spot where you're like, I'm either going to jam or I'm going to get to the flop with an SPR of one, 
then you're letting players with hands like ace king ace queen you're letting them find out if they got ahead or not before they put their money in and you know a hand like that if they're gonna put their money in make them put it in pre-flop before they know if they're gonna hit or not because when that flop comes out and they don't see the ace or the king they're not gonna put those chips in you're not gonna win those chips but the time that the ace or the king does come they are so you're really kind of free rolling them on those extra chips that you're not putting in the middle pre-flop where you you get a chance to you know make a legit coin flip there that's really interesting so what what the the opposite side of that is because we have an under the gun razor um the the thinking i have is that um i am not folding this post flop unless it comes like you know ace king queen or something on the flop right but but i am potentially folding to an under the gun reshove to my three bet to a four bet under the uh, on pre-flop um and, and it allows me to still have a playable stack and at those times when that really strong under the gun range uh, so it's it's just interesting. I mean, I, and I may be playing these spots completely wrong. So I, I'd be curious, but like that's my thinking in these kind of spots is like if I take that smaller sizing, um, because tournament life is just so important. Hmm. I give myself that one shot to, uh, and if they have ace king and it comes king seven five, I'm losing my stack anyway. But if they have aces, I'm probably uh, leaving this hand with 20 big blinds so that's that you know that's that's what i'm protecting myself against not against them outdrawing me i'm gonna lose those hands anyway but it's more like the um those really premium hands that can four bet shove me yeah what i don't like about that is how much of your stack you would have to commit to uh the three bet to then ultimately Mm -hmm. have to fold because then say say we go with the smallest sizing of 10 big blinds. Yeah. Uh, we would have to call 22 to win. It'd be seven and a half plus 32 times two. So we're talking 70. We'd have to call 22 to potentially win 70. Uh, so the odds that we need there are, you know, it's a jam. Not, a jam. not, not that call. like we're, we're never in that bad of a spot. If, if we theoretically give them, Jacks plus and ace king, we have 33% equity there, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which we, we chip wise, uh, if we have to call 22 to win 70, we're getting the right price. Right, right. Right. So we would literally have to put them on a hand that doesn't have ace king at all in it, saying they're never shoving ace king mm-hmm. uh, for that fold to then be a correct decision. And I think so, that. The original jam that we do as a as a squeeze is um, we're taking his entire range, his entire opening range. Now, if this guy is only opening jacks plus ace king, I mean, I can't I can't feature that. It's I think his range is going to be bigger than that um, in this kind of a tournament with this uh, type of, of, of opponents that he's talking about. So his range is going to be wider than that to begin with. So already we know that we've got at least 33%, if not more equity when we jam pre-flop. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree with all that. Um, 
And then to, to bring one more point in there, uh, what Rob started talking about here, uh, if we're in a field where we feel like we're outmatched uh, to, to three bet and then fold with a hand that probably has the right price uh, is just burning. You know, we have to put the pressure on those other players. If we feel like we are in a tournament where we're slightly outmatched, uh, we have to put the pressure on them. Uh, we can't uh, allow them to put pressure on us and get us to fold in spots where we shouldn't. And I think that is uh, what would happen or could potentially happen if we choose the small three-bet side. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, let's take just a little over 30 seconds to hear from Jonathan Little, and then I want to tease a little more out of that point there, Taylor. Here we go. Have you ever wondered whether you should call a preflop raise or three-bet instead? What do you do when you have a flush draw? Do you raise it or do you just call? What do you do with ace-king when you miss the flop? Are you tired of guessing about what the right play is with your particular hand? Well, my name is Jonathan Little, and I am a two-time World Poker Tour champion and creator of PokerCoaching.com, where we offer over a thousand interactive hand quizzes where you play a hand and then get real-time feedback from our world-class pros. Don't guess and don't stress. Just register for your free account at PokerCoaching.com slash RecPoker right now. Boy, the only thing stressful about that is me making sure to press pause quickly enough so that we don't mess up the audio cue. You know, that gets me sweating a little bit. Um, yeah, Jonathan Little, one of the great names in poker. Also, I want to talk about Steve Fredland and how uh, other than just playing poker and being the founder here at Rec Poker, he also helps small businesses uh, thrive instead of just survive, especially in today's hard times. So if you or someone you know owns a small business, go to smallsmallbusiness.com and find some fun ways to work with Steve where he can help you out. So, uh, Taylor, I think I really like this idea because in certain circumstances, when I'm playing in a tournament where I feel like I actually have an edge on the field, I might turn down a flip spot because I feel like I can preserve that edge for a later point where maybe I can make a better decision than some of the other people in the tournament, and that's how I'm going to profit in the tournament. It sounds like you're saying if you're in a tournament where you think you're kind of giving up a skill edge to the field, that you should really be pressing your opportunities to take these coin flips because it, it kind of neutralizes their skill edge. Am I, am I capturing that correctly? Yeah. I mean, to, to simplify like that point, it's not to say like, Hey, you know, just get super aggressive and go after flips and Hey, I had, you know, queen Jack, but I thought they had a middle pair. So I, I went all in to try and get into a flip spot. That's not, that's not the extrapolation we should make here. Uh, but what we should be thinking is, hey, you know, it, on the spot, I'm running the numbers in my head, and I think this is probably a break-even spot for me. Uh, if we're outmatched uh, in the tournament, it potentially leans us towards take that break-even spot. Uh, if we are superior to, you know, the rest of the people, it's a spot where we shouldn't be taking that. Because... Um, to put it another way, like if I was playing poker with, you know, nephews, nieces, cousins and stuff that never play poker, but I, you know, have played exclusively and I get into a spot where they flip over their cards to me and show me exactly what they have. And uh, I've got pocket tens, but they've got ace king offsuit. And I know that I'm a 54 to 46 percent favorite. Uh, every other game of poker, I'd take that. But if I'm, you know, that far ahead of them, I'm going to turn it down and just be like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to win a different way. Uh, but given that spot in the world series of poker with, you know, legends all around me, 
show me that exact spot. And I'm snap calling and saying, yep, let's run this and see if I can, uh, you know, get my winnings here rather than trying to outplay you post-flop. And, and there's something to that, right? I mean, we, we should be playing a mix of tournaments. Most of the tournaments you play, you should have a skill edge on the field. Okay, so that should be part of the way that you determine whether this is a good tournament to play or not. Um, that doesn't mean you can't take a shot. And it's, it's fun and it's, it's healthy and it's allowed in your bankroll to play higher, uh, higher um, stake tournaments or bigger buy-in tournaments and to, you know, take that shot and to have fun. And, you know, we're recreational players, so we don't have to be married to our bankroll Kelly criterion in the same way that a professional does. But um, most of your tournaments, you should be playing against people that you feel like you can beat. Um, so you should be trying to make better decisions than your opponents um, at every point through the hand. But if you're taking a shot, if you're in the World Series of Poker, you know, to Taylor's point, uh, that's the time to kind of embrace that opportunity to uh, push that edge. Now, you never make a negative EV decision, but you you are, you know, variance is more your friend than uh, the people that are better at poker than you. So not to put too fine a point on it on that front. Um, any other thoughts there, guys, on this before we close up, Rob? Chris? I, just one one thought. I don't know that we actually, uh, in this sort of real-world scenario, uh, once we do flat and the big blind raises to 10.5K, I don't know if we ever said what we would do. It folds around to us. We've got 32K. Uh, we've got pocket 10s. We've been, we've been that small three-bet sizing from the big blind. Um, and the big blind has us covered. Um, just quickly, I mean, let's talk about it. Yeah, there's no what, rush. What we, we're, not, we we're not on the <laughs> clock. I mean, because and and, and um, Pet Vet makes a good point in here, so that is addressed in the. Uh, that's a good point, Chris. Thanks. Um, Pet Vet Kim, one of our uh, premium members, says that it's a fine spot for a jam preflop when it gets to you, as it's already 10k in the pot, and when you flat here, you're set mining, and uh, it's not really profitable given the stacks. And we also get a comment from Doug Drabeck. Uh, who talks about how he's a little too passive at times. I don't know if he knows the same Doug Drayback I know. Magra 44 is in there just spilling chips. He's in such a hurry to get his stack in the middle every time. I love it. It's the way I like to play too. Um, so I, I think it's correct that in that spot, facing that re-raise out of the blinds, I don't think calling is is a, a right a correct option. Am I right in that, guys? Does anyone think that calling in that spot is profitable? It's just such a big chunk of your stack. It, it seems uncontrolled. Well, you, have, you have three decisions, right? You're either going to fold, you're going to call, or you're going to jam. Now, are you ever folding there? I don't. I don't know anybody that is. Um, jamming is is better than calling, right? Because you're calling off a third of your chip stack. Like Taylor said, once you get to the once you get to the flop, you're sitting there with a less than a one to one. Uh, stacked pot ratio. So it doesn't make any sense to go into that situation like that. Are you going to fold when you're less than one-to-one -one with pocket tens? No. So, yeah, at that point in time, I think the jam is appropriate. I think what we, what I talked about when I responded to this a little bit is that had he jammed pre-flop before the big blind could act, the big blind could have very well folded. Mm -hmm. King Jack is not a hand that you want to go to battle with, but when you have a, a raise in three callers, it's a beautiful squeeze spot with King Jack and your if you're in the big blind. 
Yeah, so spoiler alert, uh, the big blind had King Jack. And do do we know if he actually... I don't know if we would have seen this post if he hadn't flopped a jack or a king. He He didn't say how it happened. He says, if you want to know the outcome, let me know. It was sick. Yeah. Yeah. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah. So So he probably flopped a 10 and then, you know, the straight. The last of the straight. Yeah, Yeah, the old queen A's. I I love that. That happens so much. (laughs) Gotta love it. Well, Chapo, write in and let us know. Let us know how how sick it was. We don't mind. We don't mind the bad beat stories here on the Rec Poker podcast. But I do hope people go and check out the forum because there's a lot of great, uh, like Doug Drebeck goes through and mentions, he breaks down the whole range of hands. People might be doing things in certain spots here. Um, Kim Petvet has some really good points. Everyone here on the panel is chipped in. So there's uh, there's some good, good nuanced discussion in there as well. Taylor, did you want to cap us off? Yeah, I was just going to say one more thing. One of the points that um, we didn't talk about that he put in the the intro to this hand was uh it's been a a really aggressive table there's been a lot of three betting a lot of raising uh, a lot of flop action uh coming out uh essentially just saying it's it's just been really aggressive more aggressive than he's used to um and i think we got into our own head of like finally being able to be back and playing live poker uh when it's been this active and we see an open and then uh call call uh, no three betting before us that should really cap our opponent's ranges and make tens even all more profitable uh, to raise from our position. Uh, but I think it, it got to a point of, Hey, you know, I'm finally out playing poker. Uh, I've got a hand that's playable and I've got action in front of me that I am comfortable with up until this point. So I'm just going to call. Uh, so now I can get to play some poker because uh, a lot of people get into this spot and they're hey, you know, I'm finally back, I'm playing, and stuff hasn't been going well, it's still early on, do I really shove my entire stack here and potentially lose uh, and have to go home? I didn't really get to play poker. Mm -hmm. Um, So we have to kind of get out of those thoughts and not make the uh, decision that allows us to play the longest, but (laughs) give us the decision that allows us to win the most. I love that. Well, I don't know if anyone can sound smarter than Taylor Moss closing us out today. I'll give everyone a second, but no, that that one wears the crown. So I guess I'll just say uh, thanks, everyone. Thanks to the panel. Um, please, if you're listening to this, uh, we do put these out. If you're listening to this on audio, you'll, you might get a little more out of it going to uh, the video format that's available on YouTube, but you can also go to rec.poker and get a free community account. All it takes is an email address and a smile, and we don't even enforce the smile thing. I mean, it's strongly encouraged, but you don't even have to smile. That's totally up to you. Um, but more officially, I'd like to thank Running Aces, Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino, uh, Taylor Moss, Rob Washam, Chris Jones, John Somsky, Website Amp, Chapo, Kim, Pet Vet, everybody. 